Well, good evening. It's great to be with you guys tonight. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Brad, and I uh, work in the college ministry. We are based normally out of Buckhead Church, but we are here this summer uh, at North Point, and we love being up here, and we love seeing you guys. Uh, anyway, but hey, we, I got to dive in and, and tell you what we're talking about tonight, but um, here's the thing. We uh, have this summer plan to have Gavin here, Gavin Adams. He'll be with us next week. He is going to be talking about God's will this summer on how to travel without a map is the name of the series. Uh, he is in uh, Ecuador uh, this evening uh, through Compassion International. He's doing a trip with them down there, which is really, really cool. And I think he's taken uh, one of his children with him, which is awesome to be able to do that with your kid. And uh, so he'll be back for the next two weeks, and you don't want to miss it because this is the really, really good stuff. Like last week, he was kind of setting up the whole summer. Next, next week and the week after that is going to be amazing stuff, so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time here. Um, we had um, a little change in the schedule, and so I had a thought that um, I would come and share this thought with you guys. And then I met some of you last week. And it totally wrecked my thought on tonight, okay? And what happened was, was I was so amazed by who you guys are. And uh, you guys are so uh, mature. I feel like you are like going for it with God. I know some of you are like, me, mature? No way. No, seriously. Yeah, you. And I'm just curious, how many freshmen, new freshmen we have in the room tonight? Can I just see a show of hands on the freshmen? So um, I just, that's awesome, first of all. Uh, thank you for being here. We came up to North Point hoping that you guys would come. And I just want to say this. You guys are like so solid. Like I've heard the greatest stories from both of your high school pastors at Brownsbridge and at North Point and incredible. So thank you for being here. Amazing. So because of what I've kind of uh, learned from you guys or kind of got to know about you guys last week and just a few that I met, uh, we kind of shifted gears. And I just want to share something, just standalone talk tonight, something that um, I just is just uh, I'm passionate about and I want to see you help. There's a problem uh, in college campuses and I want to see if you guys will help change it. And uh, I, w I think you guys can be the ones to do it. So anyway, I want to share a little bit about my story. First of all, I went to Baylor University in Texas. Loved it. It was amazing. I chose to go there. It's a cool school now. When I was there, it was not that cool. I'll just be honest with you. But um, I went there. I chose there to go there because they had great people. And I knew it would be a great college for me to grow in my relationship with God. And so chose to go there. And it, I had no idea um, what it was going to do for me. But it really changed my life in so many ways. However... I was really immature when I went there, spiritually and just as a person. I didn't, uh, didn't really have great self-awareness. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, I just decided as a college student that I would just get involved in things that I thought that would benefit me. And that, that was my criteria. If it's going to benefit me, I'll get involved with it. If it's not going to benefit me, I'm not going to waste my time with it. But it, especially if it's going to benefit me, like, in my relationship with God, those were the things I was kind of pursuing. Although I did get in a fraternity, and I did that because I was like, I didn't want to miss out on anything. I didn't want to miss out on intramurals. I didn't want to miss out on social things. So I did that whole thing. Yes, I had to pay for my friends. I understand that. Uh, I, I, I get that, you know. And it's okay if you had to do that, too. And we all come to that point in a crisis of faith, and we're like, i got to buy my friends now. So um, anyway, so it's okay. God will grow you out of that at some point. But if you do that, that's really, really cool. And so, um, and I'm being serious. Fraternities and sororities are incredible. So um, anyway, but uh, I got to the end of my college career, and my college pastor and I, one summer, it was the summer before my fifth senior year. Okay, my fifth year, you know, not fifth senior year, but just my fifth year, you know. 
And my college pastor sat me down and he said, hey, I've been watching your life for the last two and a half years. And I've just noticed that you are just like riding the coattails of ministries, but you never really commit to anything. You never really get involved in anything. And it was like piercing when he said this to me because it was true. And I was like, oh, oh no, like this is really true. You've called me out and this is like true. And uh, and he said it in, a gr- in front of a group of people, which w- just made it like twice as hard to hear, but like piercing at the same time. I was like, because it was so evident in my life. And it really changed the course of my last semester there because I was trying to make up for the four years that I felt like I had wasted on my campus. And uh, tonight, what I want to talk to you about is I want to define a problem that I think is happening uh, on, not just in, in, on college campuses, in culture in general. I want to define a problem for you. I want to teach out of a passage out of Isaiah, and then I want to challenge you to be the solution. That's what's going to happen tonight. Define a problem, teach a passage out of Isaiah, and challenge you to be the solution. So let me tell you what the problem is. Okay, um, we're going to start back at the beginning, creation. God did these amazing things, and he said, let there be light, and there was light, and he said it was good. And then he created like the, the oceans and the land and the sea. And he's like, ah, oh, that's really, really good. And then he uh, created like uh, vegetation and then he created livestock and he said that was good. And then he got to the sixth day and he created man. And when he created man, he said, it's very good. He's like, very good. Like, all the other stuff was good, and then he created man. It was very good. And I just want you to think about this for a moment. You got creation, the earth, and then you got man, and you've got God, and you've got no sin in the world. Absolutely none. We can't even fathom what that's like. It's perfect. It's creation. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, shortly after, he says, it's very good. God, who's, all, who's sovereign, all-knowing, knows everything. He makes the statement in Genesis chapter 2, 28. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, you've heard that before because you've been to a wedding and people say that all the time. And they're always like, you're looking at the groom like, hey, buddy. You know, it's not good for man to be alone, you know? And I was making some joke, like, good job, congratulations, you finally got here, you know, to the guy. Like, hey, well done. And, uh, you know, and then, like, because God created a super suitable helper for the man, you know? And they're like, yeah, you know, guys always want to bring that up, you know, suitable helper, you know? Because, you know, like, like, women really wanted to be defined like that. Like, I'm a suitable helper. Like, I'm way more than that, buddy. Okay? But, but God... And his infinite wisdom said it's not good for man to be alone. And um, which I just want you to think about that, not in the context of marriage, even though that's true, but the reality that it's not good for man to be alone. In fact, I think God models this in the Trinity. You got the God the Father, you got the, the Son, who wasn't born, by the way, even though he was born on this earth, but the Son existed from the very beginning. Think about that one for a second. And then you got the Holy Spirit. And God's never alone. And so it's not good for man to be alone. And I want to talk to you about 
the dilemma of the college ministry experience. And this is not true for every single college student because some of you are in school, and I get that, and you work, or you're not like in your ideal dream college experience because you didn't get into the school that you wanted to go to. And I understand that too because I didn't get into the school that I really, really, really wanted to go to. And maybe you can, you know, relate to that or whatever. Or maybe you're not like, maybe you're staying at home and living at home and going to school and that's not like the traditional college experience. Although, just to let you know, that's more and more the traditional college experience for most people in the nation, by the way, that they're having to live at home and do the community college thing and because that's the, the wise thing to do with the economy and all of that. So the thing that's the, the problem with the college ministry experience is that right now in your life, you have tons of built-in community. You have tons of built-in community. And let me define what I mean by that. And so you get up and you go to class every day. And there's people in your classes, and you're not alone. So whether you drive to school and you go and you sit there, but you are, there's community right there in your classes. Uh, there's other communities like uh, you have, as I was kidding about, but, but all seriousness, you have a fraternity or sororities. Just, out of, just show of hands and not to like point you out, but how many of you are in the Greek system in some form or fashion? Yeah, no, no shame in that. So all eight of you, that's awesome, nine. So uh, that's incredible. So um, I'm kidding, there was more than that. Um, but yeah, fraternities and sororities are great. I mean, they, they do great things and you, you make your lifelong friends and in fraternities and sororities, and that's amazing. Uh, you get to compete in intramurals through fraternities and sororities, but you also get to do that in, in uh, other student organizations as well. We have uh, political groups on campus and, uh, or student organizations or like, uh, like academic groups on campus, like you know, any mathletes in the room, anybody that's like, I love math. So uh, no one's raising their hand on that one. Or try. Yeah, I love it. We got some people back there. So that's good. We got some smart people in the room tonight. That's really encouraging. I, I think you guys are very, very smart. So that's amazing. So um, yeah, but, but we have different organizations that you get involved with. And there's all of these things that we get involved with. But what's the problem with all of these things is there's a flaw in it. There's a flaw in the communities that we try to pursue. And the flaw is, they're all based, your acceptance is based on something. Your acceptance is based on either your social status, your financial ability, uh, your performance, your brilliance, your academics, like just what you bring academically to the organizations, like, oh, you're good enough to get in, we accept you. And all of them are based on something. Now, here's the thing. I am not up here tonight saying, hey, all these things are bad things. They're good things. It's reality. It's life. It's the world we live in. But there's just a flaw in all of that. In all of those communities, your performance matters. Like if you're on a sports team in college, any college athletes in here? Yes, I love that. Really, that's amazing. I, that's really, really cool. So if you were like to start like performing terribly... You wouldn't be on the team very long, or at least you would be on the bench, you know? Your performance matters. You know, if Aaron Murray, and I know he's not the quarterback anymore, but if Aaron Murray was the court, you know, kept throwing interceptions every week, he would not be the quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs. He, he would not have been the, the star of the team. And so performance matters. I get that. But 
your acceptance on your performance. That's kind of a tough place to be at in life. And so what I really want to challenge you, because I believe that you are some of the top students, not just in, in the city, but in the nation. You guys are just such quality people. I think you're more mature than the average college student. Spiritually more mature, uh, just socially more mature than the average college student. And I believe that we can change the communities that we're already a part of. And the challenge for us tonight is to change the communities that we are a part of, the flawed communities that we're in, to authentic community. And so let me explain a couple of the things that I'm talking about. See, we, the flawed communities do this, all right? Flawed communities are based on fear, all right, if, again, the Aaron Murray illustration is not a be- good illustration. I get that because I'm not really a Georgia Bulldog fan. How many Bulldog fans are in the room tonight? I just need to know that. We got, all right, 11 of you, okay? I'm a Georgia Tech fan, and I know that that's not really that cool, but, but I, I love Tech, and I'm for Tech, and I'm for the Bulldogs, by the way, which is really, for Tech fans, you can't really say that because it means I'm not really a Tech fan if I say I'm for the Bulldogs, but I want both teams to win. I want Georgia State Panthers to win, by the way. I, I'm a football season ticket holder to Georgia State Panthers because I think they're great. But if you're on a sports team, you're, the fear that you have is that you're not going to, like, perform. That you're not going to be able to execute. You're not going to get the job done. And you're going to lose your position, okay? Authentic community is based on trust. It's based on trust. It means I know that I'm accepted. I know that I'm loved. I know that people will trust, you know, I can trust them to accept me for who I am. Flawed community is also based on performance, which I just said. And it's all about what you're going to measure up to. What you bring to the table. But authentic community is based on transparency and honesty. And I'm just wondering tonight, could it be possible that a group of you could go back to your campuses in the fall, or maybe some of you if you're in summer school right now, and you begin to transform some of these places, just a part of these places, from flawed community to authentic community? Because, see, flawed community leads to loneliness and isolation. But authentic community leads to intimacy and belonging. It leads to intimacy and belonging. That you have really solid relationships that are deep, that you care about, and that it feels like a place that you belong. And you can have that in all the communities that you're currently experiencing but you have to lead the way. What do I mean by authentic community? This is what I mean. The freedom to be myself with a consistent group of people where you grow closer to God and closer with each other. The freedom to be myself. What I, I just want you to be honest about who you are, that you can be transparent, that you can trust that, hey, that sin that you're struggling with, that habit that you've created, that if somebody knew about it, that they're still gonna accept you. Anyway, the freedom to be myself with a consistent group of people where you grow grow closer to God. And what I mean by growing closer to God, that you're pursuing God in in those relationships around you are encouraging you to pursue God. Now, as I say this, at North Point, we're a church for unchurched people, and we want to reach people 
that don't know God all the time. And so I'm not saying we don't want you to have relationships with people that don't know God. Because we totally do. We want you to influence people that don't know God. And that's a large part of like being involved in the communities that we're talking about that have this flaw of your acceptance is based on your performance or your status or what you bring to the table. But it's really, really, really important if you're going to have authentic community that you can have a community where you're encouraged to grow closer to God and grow closer with each other. And if you're, if you're with a group of people that you're pursuing God, you're going to automatically start pursuing one another in relationships because you're going to get encouragement from each other. You're going to feed off each other. You're going to uh, pick the other person up when they're feeling down. And so I'm just wondering, could, could you go back to your campus and begin to live life in a way that takes a step for people that are around your life to experience authentic community. To explain how I, I would love for you to do this is I want us to look at this passage in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61. And this is what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This verse is uh, repeated in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, 19 and 20. It's the, actually the first passage that Jesus reads, that we know, recorded, that he reads in a synagogue. He stands up. He reads the reading that's set aside for that day. And he reads this very verse from the book of Isaiah. And the crazy thing is, he sits down and says, Today, this verse has been fulfilled. This prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that causes a great stirring among the synagogue. Because they're like, hey, we know. Aren't you Joseph's kid? Like, you can't, you can't be like the Messiah, the, the chosen one. But what this verse is about is what the Messiah is going to do for the nation of Israel, and not only the nation of Israel, but the entire world. And so, he says he's going to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, the dark, from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, keep going, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so what Isaiah is getting at, and by the way, the name, the prophet Isaiah, his name means the Lord saves that's what his whole message was about in the book of Isaiah. That our God, the Holy One of Israel, is the God who saves. And so he's saying in this passage that when the Messiah comes, he will proclaim good news to the poor. He will also bind up the brokenhearted. He will heal broken hearts. That's all that means. 
He will proclaim freedom for captives and prisoners. He will also proclaim the Lord's favor. Which, by the way, we're living in the Lord's favor today. I don't know if you know that. I mean, there's favor like USA beat Ghana. You know, there's that kind of favor in life. And you can, you know, attribute that to God. And yes, you can say that that's God's will because it happened and those kind of things. But there could be Christians on Ghana's team praying for their team and being like, God, please let us win the next game and that kind of stuff. But the favor I'm talking about right now is not that kind of favor. The kind of favor I'm talking about is the fact that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's available to all. And that's favor. The fact that you were born in this nation and that you live in a country that you get to hear about the gospel, that's favor. That you get to know Jesus Christ, that's favor. That we, and what I mean by that you get to know Jesus Christ, that we're on this side of it, this side of the New Testament. Not, we're not BC, we're, you, know, you know, we're not before Christ. But we're like post. We know who he is. That's pretty amazing. Okay? You don't think about that too long because it'll blow your mind if you really, really think about it. But that's what the Messiah will do. He's like, hey, God is here to rescue his people. And we got rescued. That's what favor is. Pretty awesome. Other things the Messiah will do. He'll comfort those who mourn. He'll exchange their spirit of despair for a garment of praise. And I really don't know how to describe this other to say that people were going to a funeral, basically. They were down. They were in the dumps. And they're now going to a party. Like they were going to behave. They're behaving like they would put ashes on their head and mourn and weep and wail. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't, don't be like that anymore because our God is a God who saves. And he's going to save through the Messiah. And when he does, you're going to get to exchange the spirit of despair for a garment of praise. And then he says this. They will become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So this is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about what does it mean for us to be an oak of righteousness? Because that's a weird term. A planting of the Lord. For the display of his splendor. And the oak of righteousness is a really interesting term. But to really understand what this means, you have to go back to the beginning of the book of Isaiah. In chapter 1, verse 30, he talks about um, oaks that will fade. Not oaks of righteousness, but oaks that will fade. And what he's saying is, to the nation of Israel, Isaiah is proclaiming, he's like, because of your sin, because of the things, the fact that you desire to gratify yourself, you desire to like, you know, pleasure yourself and go after things of the world. Because of that sin, you're going to be an oak that fades away. The, the fruit you produce will be fading fruit. It will wither up. It will die. And so he, in this moment, he's saying, you're not going to be oaks that wither and fade. But you're going to be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord that displays the splendor of God, that it reflects God, that it doesn't reflect man. Because an oak that withers and fades, in the context of what Isaiah was talking about, is one that chooses not to live for God, but to live for themselves. So that's what's going on with oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. 
Years ago, I was uh, traveling uh, for another ministry, and I um, got to uh, live in an RV for nine months, which is really, really awesome, and uh, see America, and it was great. And, uh, um, and I spent the whole month of October in the state of California. Kristen Fry loves the state of California. She's from California, and she thinks it's the great. In fact, she's wearing a necklace tonight with the state of California on her necklace, and, um, which I've never seen before, Christian, and that was really awesome. It's just ironic that you wore that today. But, um, and uh, what's, what's so amazing about California, California is like a country in and of itself. And I mean, I feel like Georgia's kind of big. Atlanta's a really, really big town. But California, is, it's crazy. I mean, there are a million college students in the city of Los Angeles. A million college students in the city of Los Angeles. That's crazy, okay? And then you go to the, all these other uh, towns and schools, and there'll be like thirty to 50,000 people at these schools that you've never even heard of. I, 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 it's, it's crazy. There's so many, so many colleges and so many people in the state of California. And so we were traveling around promoting this event that we were doing, and we had a weekend off, and we, um, somebody had told us about Sequoia National Forest. They were like, hey, you need to go check out Sequoia National Forest if you're ever in California. And we were, um, I think we were in Fresno at the time. And it's about five hours from Sequoia National Forest, but we're in an RV, so it doesn't matter. We can drive through the night. We can pull over to the side of the road. We can go to sleep anytime you want. So we drove, my friend and I drove to Sequoia National Forest, and we pulled in at about 2 a.m. We couldn't see a thing. And I, I was like, it's trees. How excited can you get about trees, you know? I mean, seriously. I mean, what trees are, like, going to really, like, get you? Like, would you drive five hours to see trees? Have you ever thought about that before? And so we wake up the next morning and get out, and we're trying to figure out where we are and what's going on. And we just looked, we got out of the RV, and we saw something like this right here. <clears throat> and sequoia trees, I don't know if you know this about sequoia trees, but I didn't know this until I went. But sequoia trees are the largest living organism in the world. The largest living organism in the world. They're not the tallest, by the way, just in case you're into trees. The tallest is the coastal redwood, because I know you were going to ask that question. And so, um, you know, these trees are like, you know, 275 feet tall, okay? Coastal redwoods get a little taller than that, okay? But they are the, the largest living organism because they're, they're like 40 feet wide in diameter. 40 feet wide. We've got another picture here Let me just to show you, okay? She's trying to hug it, okay? We, we don't have any trees like this in Georgia, Okay? Massive, massive trees. I think we've got another picture here. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? That's amazing. Incredible. All right, stop, stop right there. I don't want to go any further. I want to explain that later. But what's amazing about sequoia trees, they have four feet. Four feet of the tree is bark. The bark is four feet thick. So insects do not damage these trees. Like you can throw a termite at that and go, have your way with it. Not going to mess it up. Okay? I mean, look how big they are. They're massive. The other crazy thing about <laughs> sequoia trees is um, you can have a forest fire. Forest fire 
not going to damage the tree. In fact, forest fires are good for the trees because it uh, gets the, the seed, seedlings up top to actually drop into the ground. And it burns away the brush around the trees. And so they, they drop into fertile soil and they help them grow. So forest fires are good for sequoia trees. I know that sounds crazy because like, like crazy far, forest fires in California, you hear about them all the time. But forest fires that they can get to and kind of put out quickly, they're a good thing for sequoia trees. But you know what the greatest danger to a sequoia tree is? I mean, look at it. The greatest danger to a sequoia tree is when it loses its balance. Because when it loses its balance, there's nothing that's going to stop it. It's going to fall right down. That's the greatest danger to a sequoia tree. And because of that, you'll never find a sequoia tree by itself. It'll never be alone. You'll always find it in groves. We have another picture here. And they'll always be together. Those are really, really close because they had some forest fires that dropped the seedlings right beside it. I'm just kidding. But um, so what's so incredible about sequoia trees is their root system is all intertwined to one another. And so when a sequoia tree begins to lose its balance, the, the roots of the other trees will grab hold of it and hold on to it so it will not fall down. How cool is that? Like one will start leaning and then the other one is like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. I got you right where you are. That is amazing. How cool is our God that he made sequoia trees and he made them the largest living organism in the world. And he said, hey, the best way for you to survive is if you're not alone, but you're in a grove. Because when you lose your balance or when you start to fall down, I'm going to get a hold of you and keep you right where you need to be. Now, here's the challenge for you tonight. What will it take for you to be a sequoia of righteousness where you live? What will it take for you to be a sequoia of righteousness right now where you live? Because I believe that you in this room can change the culture of our communities where you live if you begin to be a sequoia of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor where you are. And you can begin to not transform the entire campus, but to transform your area of influence where you are right now. And this is how I want you to do it. There's a couple of things I want you to do, okay? And the first is that I want you to be intentional with your life. I want you to be intentional with your life. Authenticity requires intentionality. Authenticity requires intentionality. And whether you know it or not, you're intentional right now by the way you're living. But if you want to live an authentic life in the communities that you live in, you have to be intentional with your life. And there's three ways that we want you to be intentional. The first is this, that you have to be intentional with the way that you love. You got to be intentional with the way that you love. There's people in your community right now that you're not too fond of, that you don't like, if you were just to be real honest. 
And, and that's, that's true for me too. But you have to be intentional with the way that you love. Um, we've got this passage here from 1 John. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's so many passages we could have talked about love. I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. But God's love is made complete in us when we love one another. That's how you're going to display the splendor of God and be a sequoia of righteousness, a planning of the Lord. You've got to love the people that you're living around. Second thing that we've got to do is that you have to, intentional, you have to be intentional, intentional development of your spiritual disciplines. Be intentional in the development of your spiritual disciplines. And um, this is just so important because uh, some of you are thinking, right now I'm in college and I don't really need to grow that much spiritually or I'm going to get to that when I get, become an adult and get a real job and have to like deal with that. And you think you're going to have more time to do that when you get older. And that's just not true. And that's a lie that you're believing or you're thinking, I'm going to do it tomorrow or I'm going to do it next week. But you've got to start spending time in the Word, like discipline time in the Word or in prayer and, and just getting to know God. And you've got to get in this if you're going to know Him. If you want to be a sequoia of righteousness that you display as splendor, you've got to get in His Word. You've got to be talking to Him about your communities. You've got to be praying about your communities. You've got to be praying about your influence. If you start doing that, you start thinking differently about your communities and what you can do to be a leader and an influencer in a way that you can display him and reflect him where you live. But you've got to be intentional about it. And what I mean by intentional is you've got to have a plan. And some of you don't have a plan right now. You've been home from school for the summer and your plan is like come to the living room. It's like, hey, I'm, I, I'm good. I made it to the living room Monday night. That's awesome. We're meeting four times this summer. Well done. That's really going to help you. You know? But you got to get a plan. What's your plan? What are you reading right now? What are you reading? Think about it. Just pick a book. Pick a gospel. Pick Isaiah if you want to go, like, if you want to be like, what in the world's going on? That's crazy. That's a long one. But if you've never read Isaiah, maybe you should read it. It'll challenge you. It'll, it'll freak you out. And some of the stuff, it's like, really? That happened? But you can learn a lot, but you got to have a plan. And finally, you got to be intentional in the development of your character. And what I mean by this is that you got to be transparent. You've got to have accountability. And through that, it'll lead you to self-awareness. And what I mean by that is you're in a season of life right now that there's things that you don't know about your life because you can't see them. And when you begin to live in community... And lead the way. And you start being honest with the things that you struggle with. With other people. And you start allowing them to speak in your life. And you start building trust with one another. And transparency goes on there. Then they can start speaking to the things that you can't see. And it's going to help you develop into the person that God created you to be. And so that's what I want you to do. To be a sequoia of righteousness for the display of his splendor. 
And the way I want you to do it is be intentional with the way that you love. To be intentional with your spiritual disciplines. And some of you need to get on that right now. And intentional in the development of your character. There's no better time than right now to do that. And if you begin to do that this summer, you can lay a root system in your life that you could be a sequoia of righteousness for someone else on your campus when you go back this fall. And I think and I believe that you can change the flawed communities that you live in to authentic communities that could change your campus for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And God, I thank you for these students tonight. And I thank you for what you're doing in their lives, what you've done already to lead them to this point. And Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would lead them. Lead them to grow with you this summer. Uh, to be honest with you about where they are and what they're struggling with. And that they would begin to pursue you with all, your heart, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, I pray that you'd raise them up to whatever campus that they are on. Whether it's in the southeast, or whether it's in the northeast, or some other place, or maybe it's just a community college here in Atlanta. But God, I pray that you would raise them up to be a sequoia of righteousness that they would reflect Jesus Christ in the world that they live in. And God, we ask that you would do this in your power and through your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.